Hey, welcome to the 50th episode of Two Writer Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master by the fantastic MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today, my guest is A.J. Casavell, the San Diego Padres beat writer for MLB.com. A.J. is early into his third season of covering the Padres, so that means he'll wind up attending, oh, 130 games of, if we're being honest, pretty frickin' bad baseball. So how does he do it day after day? How does he work the clubhouse? How does he come up with story ideas? How does he deal with the conga line of defeats? It's a job I admire and also a job I'd probably never want to do. So let's learn all about baseball beat writing right now on Two Writers Slinging Yang. All right, AJ, let me start with a weird one. And um, this is going to sound harsh, but I actually don't mean it as harsh. And I think you'll understand. So I've had almost 50 guests on this podcast. And I can think of no writing job I would enjoy less than yours. And what, what, <laughs> what I mean by that is not what it sounds. You know, I covered Major League Baseball at Sports Illustrated. I never had a, a newspaper or a website beat. I covered it where I would go into one town and then I go to another town and it would always be, you know, profile this guy and then go there and profile that guy. But I've never had the day-to-day grind of a Major League Baseball beat. And it just seems like it can beat the living crap out of someone. But am I misreading that? Is it is it not as ferocious as it seems? Well, you better love baseball. I mean, that's that's the first thing, because you're going to get a whole lot of it every single day. I mean, it's not even just three hours of baseball a night. It's it's eight hours of baseball. It's You're at the ballpark pretty – I mean, it's it, it ends up being 12 hours of baseball. It's it, You're at the ballpark early. You're doing all whatever research you need to do to prep for the game. You're spending time around the guys, and then you're at the ballpark two hours after the game too. So you better you better love baseball, and you also better love – traveling and being on the road. And, and I think I checked both of those boxes for this job. I, I, I love my job, but I can, I, I, it's, it's really clear to me to see why there are a lot of, I think probably grumpy old ball writers. And, and it's, it, it makes a whole lot of sense to me given the, the day-to-day grind of, of what it takes to, to cover a baseball team. All right. So how many games will you attend this year? Good question. I don't, I don't know the, number yet but i know last year i think i went i did 128 so wow is that including spring training we're not including spring training there that is not including spring training but that is including two rounds of playoffs because i covered uh the nlds and the nlcs so the san diego padres have their last winning season was in 2010 this year as of this recording they're 14 to 25 they're 11 games out it does not look like the padres are going to be a contender this year and i wonder you know they're guys who have spent their years covering the Yankees, covering the Red Sox, uh, covering the Dodgers. And every year they know they're going to win. And every year they know at the trade deadline they're going to bring in these, you know, the, a, an extra big bat or an arm out of the bullpen. They know they're going to be playing into the postseason. You've never had that. Does covering a losing team, um, does it change, do you think, the sort of way you go about your job? Is it is it harder to get – is it – just like for a baseball player, it's very hard to get up for a you know July game in 95-degree heat when you're 14 out of first. Is it hard for a writer, a beat writer, 
to watch pretty bad baseball for a long period of time. I don't, I don't know if it's harder for me to watch. I mean, cause, cause the baseball is the same. It's just that one team's beating the other and it happens that the team I'm covering is getting beat more often than not. But it's harder for me to actually do my job because I think when you're covering teams like, like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers, the story almost, I don't want to say it writes itself because the, the writing has to be done, but the story is the game. The story is, the story is, last night the Yankees and the Red Sox played, the story is who won that game and who's in first place now. With the Padres, I, co- I covered a game last night, the Padres lost 2-1. to one. I thought the story was Franchi Cordero, one of their prospects, having three hits and, and really showing that he made strides at the plate, and I don't care what the score was. I don't care whether the score was 10-1 Padres or 10-1 Cardinals, it, was, it ended up being 2-1 Cardinals. It, it it doesn't matter what the score is for a team that's that's 11 games under and not going to contend for the playoffs this season. I have to find a story that might not be so obvious and might not be so just just it, it doesn't hit you in the face. The story of the game to me doesn't isn't so obvious every single night when you're covering a team that's not in contention and and the wins and I'm not I don't want to say the wins and losses don't matter because they obviously do and and for a team that's trying to get back into contention whether in 2019 or 2020 they they want to start seeing progress on the field now, but the story that I'm writing and the story that I'm trying to capture is the path to that contention in 2019 or 2020, and it doesn't necessarily the the, the result of a May game against the Cardinals doesn't have any impact on that. So I have to capture a different story, and so the job is in my, in my view completely different than covering a contender, and it's it's. I, I don't want to say it's harder because I've I've been on the beat. This is my this is my third season. I haven't covered I haven't covered a, a, a pennant race or or a stretch run where every game every pitch matters. I don't want to say it's harder, but it's just it's just different and it's maybe a little more work in terms of, of finding the story. Now, do you assume that by the time someone is reading your story, they know whether the Padres won or lost? Yes, yes. I don't I don't write a game story in the sense that. Here's what happened in the game. That's not what I'm trying to tell you if you're, if you're reading my game story. I'm trying to tell you some details and facts from the game interspersed into, into the greater narrative. But mm-hmm. for me, I mean, even, even if they don't know if the Padres won or lost, by the time they get to Padres.com or pull up the MLB at bat app, they're, they're going to see the score and they're going to see a brief description of what happened in the game from a blurb or something somewhere. So, uh, it's, it, it's not my job to say, here's what happened in the game. They scored two runs in the eighth to, to win. It's my job to say, here's what happened. Here's what, ha- here's why what happened in the game mattered. All right. So tonight, just as an example, Padres Cardinals, 7, 10 PM start, Pecco. Uh, right now, as we have this conversation, it's 9 30 in the morning. So you have a, you know, you have a 10 hours until the game. I've literally soup to nuts. You leave your house. Ha- I don't know how far do you live from the ballpark? Uh, 10, 15 minutes maybe today, because Friday, a little bit of traffic, so probably 15 minutes. Okay. You leave for the ballpark at what time, and then what do you do? I'll leave for the ballpark around 1.45. I get there at around 2. I try and get there. I try and get, the clubhouse opens at 3.15, so I try and get there a little over an hour before the clubhouse gets open. And I, uh, I mean, my my day kind of starts before then. I basically, I, I read pretty much everything that happened in the NL West from all four teams there. That's kind of just my, my baseball fix. I, I want to see what's going on in the division. Uh, and I, I do some research into what the Padres farm teams did. I do most of that before I get to the ballpark. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at around 145, 
pick up a salad at Barron's Market and drive <laughs> to the ballpark. Uh, get there. It, it, so I've I've got an hour to prep for the game, and I like to I like to go into the clubhouse with with four or five different potential things to to talk to players or coaches or whoever about with four or five different angles already, even if I'm not going to write a story about it, just something that maybe interested me in the game the night before or, or, or two nights before or something, something that jumps out at me just so I can kind of spark a conversation. Cause you kind of never know where I, I need to write so many stories throughout the course of the season that sometimes I don't know where the stories are going to come from. And so, mm-hmm. so I want to, so I want to just basically prep as many different angles uh, of, of questions as I can. And sometimes, sometimes they're harmless. Sometimes it's something like, Hey, did you, did, if, if he didn't catch that ball, like, where would you have ended up? Where would, would you think you would have gotten an inside the park home run? Just something easy like that. Uh, just to kind of start it back and forth. And you, you never know where some bigger, more interesting story is going to come from. So, uh, I spend about an, an hour just kind of prepping for the clubhouse while also just kind of reading whatever else is going on. I'll usually, uh, I, I usually put on another baseball game on my iPad while I'm there getting ready. And then I head down to the clubhouse around three fifteen. And all right. So I was um, last week for the first time in years and years and years, I was in a major league clubhouse. I was a uh, Tigers Rangers in Arlington and I walk into the clubhouse and I actually was reminded that I really disliked the clubhouse scene when I was a writer, <laughs> when I was, I did. I mean, I always considered it very uncomfortable and that I was kind of in their turf. And even if it's, you know, you're approaching someone friendly and you see them on their iPad, you, I just, I always hated that so much. And I wonder, obviously you're in your third year now, you've been around this team for a long time. Do you find any awkwardness in the clubhouse ritual or is it completely and totally uh, no biggie for you? No, there are moments and, and usually, usually they go away. Usually there's, there's kind of, with some of the new, new players, there's an, there's a period of breaking the ice, but for, uh, I think the the longer you're around a guy, the more comfortable it gets. I, I'm on board with you. I, I I don't really love the club uh, clubhouse scene either, even though it's a huge part of my job. I spend probably an hour and a half a day standing in the clubhouse, and most of it is not spent talking to players because most of it, the players I need to talk to aren't around. They're outside playing catch, they're lifting weights or or whatever. And so, uh, I th- I think that's that's part of what breeds the this this. Uh, almost awkwardness is the fact that I don't, I don't want to be standing around in this clubhouse any more than you, the player want me standing around doing nothing in the clubhouse, but I have things to do. Uh, and I can't get them done when the people I need to talk to aren't there. And so I, I, I mean, I usually busy myself talking, bringing up one of those, I guess, finer points that from a game before, just, or just talking, talking about anything with anyone, but yeah, that the, the clubhouse scene, it's, it's an interesting one. Just in the sense that uh, there's usually, when the clubhouse opens, there's usually only a, a handful of guys there, uh, and it's it's open for an hour, and I need to get the information I need to get, and it's a matter of when the guy is going to be available. And so, I, I think for the most part, everyone everyone in and in this Padres clubhouse, I I like a, a good amount. It's there's a, there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of young guys, so maybe they don't, they, they're, they're kind of happy to be in the major leagues. And so mm-hmm. they're happy to talk to me. Uh, so everyone seems very approachable, but, uh, but for, from what I've noticed, I haven't, there's, there's, as soon as they, they, they all know who I am and they all know that I'm not going to ask, that I'm not going to ask anything ridiculous because that, that 
is the case with, with some media. What do you mean by that, by ridiculous? That's interesting. Oh, I, I mean, like, like just, just straight up ridiculous. I don't mean any, like, actual journalist questions, journalistic questions. I, there's, there's some media, particularly for day games, because whatever local TV station needs to send a, needs to send someone to get whatever footage they need. And so you'll see, I mean, I think it was last year, there was a question, Will Myers was asked a question after they lost. They had lost the game, but I think he had like three hits. And so the question to start his post-game scrum was, so what happened today? Just, just that, just those, those words, that was the end of the question. And Will kind of, Will, Will is one of the easiest people to deal with, uh, in my three years on the beat. And he kind of did double take, like, what do you mean what happened today? And the follow up to that was, well, you had three hits, but the team lost. And it's just like, the players have a job to do and, and they put in a lot of work to do it. I have a job to do and I put in a lot of work to do it. And so there's almost, even, even if they don't necessarily want to deal with me, there's a respect in the fact that I'm working to, to do my, I'm working to do my job in the same manner that they are. A lot, I think a lot of guys understand that. But when someone comes in and, and asks just a, a question that it shows they, they haven't done any preparation, that's when they kind of roll their eyes. And to me, that's kind of why they're, they, they tend to avoid the media in the first place. That's why they, they tend to be eating their pregame meal when the media, uh, when the clubhouse is open for the media. So, um, I, I, the, the good thing is, I mean, I've developed a decent enough rapport with most of those guys that they know I'm not going to come in there and ask those kind of questions. Have you ever had a hostile exchange with a player in your three years covering the Padres? Yeah, I've had a couple. None that I would, none that I would qualify as, as like newsworthy or particularly like, like a big deal, but, but I mean, guys, guys aren't happy after losses and I get that. I mean, they're paid to be professional athletes. Um, I think the one, one that jumps out to me, uh, I don't remember the exact circumstances, so I would need to go back and kind of, I, I would need to go back and look up the, the details, but it was Andrew Kashner was, was, was on the trade block. He was on the bubble to be dealt, uh, in 2016. And he was, I think there was a rumor right before he started that he was going to be traded and not going to make that start. And he ended up making the start. And I don't remember what happened in the start, but after the, after the game, I asked him something along the lines of, well, was it easy to put aside the fact that you're hearing all this trade chatter? You might not be making the start. Uh, he kind of snapped back with, well, it's never easy. Baseball's never easy. And you know what? He, he, he's right. He doesn't have to, I mean, that's clearly not the intent of my question, but it's, I mean, it's not easy on these guys. And, and sometimes, I mean, if, if I had a microphone in my face after, after competing, I would probably I would probably snap the good one or two times a year too. So I gotta, I gotta kind of understand where they're coming from and not necessary not, not judge them for that. Cause otherwise, other than a couple spots like that, Cashner was just fine to deal with. This year, obviously, um, Padres got a new, whatever, marquee, marquee player. What do we call marquee? Mm-hmm. Is, is Eric, yeah. Eric Hosmer a marquee? For the Padres, certainly marquee, and, and he signed a big Padres, deal. For the Padres, yeah. What is your approach to a new player arriving? Meaning, do you feel like there's a need? Do you need to get to know him? Is it important that he knows you? Do you have to learn his life story through him? You know, how do you, when you have a guy who's coming in and he's, he's you know, one of the two faces of the franchise all of a sudden, uh, is there a way you go about sort of, you know, him becoming part of your life. I, I don't try and overdo that because I think uh, he, he's coming to San Diego and he's the face of 
he's all of a sudden the face of the Padres. And there's so much that's expected of him, and especially in that first month or so, uh, in terms of media obligations and, and meeting new people and talking to whoever, that I'm going to be around this guy for the next eight years. It, it, if he, assuming he, it, he could opt out after five. So I'm going to be around this guy for at least the next five years. So in my, I'm, I'm going to be dealing with him on an almost daily basis. So I, I mean, obviously I have to write stories about him. Obviously I have to, especially right after he signs, I have to kind of go into detail on who this guy is. But in terms of going up to him on a daily basis and, and finding out his life story, he is, he has a lot to deal with. And so I don't necessarily want to be off putting in that sense. So I'll, I'll kind of, uh, I'll ask him questions when I have legitimate questions as opposed to just asking questions to go up to him and, and kind of let him know who I am. Cause I, I assume, and it, this has already happened. I assume that a month in, I'm going to have talked to him 20 or 30 times anyway, because the, the situations will have presented themselves and I'll, I'll need to, and, and he'll know who I am and we'll develop a decent enough relationship. So that's kind of the way I approach that. And it's something that, 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 I had to think about when the Padres signed him because in my three years, that was, I mean, I, that's one of the biggest Padres signings in history. And so, uh, how do I, the person who covers the team approach developing a relationship with that person? Well, I, I, I think, I, I think the best way to go about it is not to push it, is not to overdo it. Interesting. There's a story I'm just looking May 9th in the, uh, San Diego Union Tribune. Eric Hosmer shocked by supposed riff with Andy Green, hint of Padre discord. Uh, you mm-hmm. probably saw this. This was not your story, Kevin AC. Uh, Padres first baseman Eric Hosmer was stunned Wednesday when told of the furor caused by a social media post and ensuing discussion about the topic on talk radio. Uh, this is kind of weird. A fan writing on Reddit claimed to have heard Hosmer disrespecting manager Andy Green after hitting a two-run homer Saturday against the Padres. Seems crazy to me, Hosmer said. We got a good thing going. Is this what it is in 2018? Like, a fan posts something on Reddit about overhearing Hosmer kind of talking shit to the manager of the Padres. And now the San Diego Union Tribune is writing a story about it. Were they right to write that? I mean, is that a, is that a fair story to write? Do you guys have to chase those kind of things? Is it just, is it what it is? Well, I mean, we have to chase those kind of things. If you see, if you see something uh, maybe about a suppose, like maybe about discord in a clubhouse or whatever, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm not going to leave unturned. That's I'm not going to just hear that and, and say, Oh, well, it's probably some fan. Cause if there's any truth to it, that's something I need to be on top of. Whether it needs to be written is a different story entirely. I don't think there's, there's, there was really no factual base for anything in that. I don't know if you saw the Reddit post, but there's really no factual base for anything other than a pitcher being upset when he got taken out of a game too early. And to me, that's, that happens all the time. That's not something that's, that's unique to a team with a bad clubhouse. And so, um, so yeah, I, I I looked into it and kind of made sure it wasn't the case, or at least wasn't the case to my knowledge. And that is something that's going to generate buzz. And for a team that's fourteen and twenty five, and a team that's struggling, if there's discord in the clubhouse, that's a story that's going to generate people talking about it on the radio, people people writing about it, and people are going to click on it. And I for for me, that's not a story. That's a story that needs to be pursued by a beat guy, but maybe not necessarily written unless it turns out that there is truth to it. That's, that's, I mean, and that's just my opinion. I understand where the Union Tribune is coming from. It's, it's, it's out there. I mean, it's, it's, it was publicly being discussed on Twitter. And so in some ways the Padres need to, need to shut down that, that rumor. But at the same time, if there's no truth to it, I don't understand why we're giving credence to, uh, 
to a guy on Reddit. You uh, when I I'm I'm a New Yorker, came up in New York, uh, started my career in New York, blah 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 blah, and the competitiveness of the Yankee and Met beats uh, when I was covering baseball was hyper hyper intense to the point where certain writers wouldn't deal with other writers; they would travel together. Uh, there was a real animosity uh, between certain writers. Uh, and it was purely based on the fact that they were covering the same team and going after the same material. What sort of relationship, A, do you have with other writers covering the Padres? And B, is it okay to be buddy-buddy with other writers covering the Padres? And C, is it okay to share information with other writers covering the Padres? Yes to B, no to C. I mean, I, I think it's perfectly fine to be amicable with the people you work with. I mean, I see those, I see the, the other beat writers and the PR staff as much as anyone else at work. I'm going to see them 130 times and I, I, I like them all. And so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to go grab a beer with those guys or hang out with those guys off the beat. But I'm not going to, if I have, if I have information that they don't have, I'm not going to share that with them. And I wouldn't expect the same vice versa. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is a competitive business and it's kind of in, it's in the nature of the job to get the information yourself. So that's, that's, that's just kind of the way I view it. It's, uh, I, I like everyone else on the, on the Padres beat, on the Padres PR staff. I, I like the people I travel with, which is a good thing considering there's not a, it's not like the Yankees are met beat where there's 15 people going to every city. There's only four or five of us, uh, only three of us writers. And so it, that's a good thing, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to ever in any case help them along the way. Does writing for MLB.com change anything about your job? And I guess what I mean is if tomorrow we found out that, um, yeah, I don't know, Chase Headley was uh, trafficking heroin across the border. <laughs> you know, do you being a writer for MLB.com, which obviously is owned by MLB, which obviously is, you know, I mean, there's a, there's an interesting sort of relationship there between everything. Does it, do you cover stories differently in any way, shape or form than uh, a newspaper or a magazine or a non-affiliated with Major League Baseball website? Yes. My job as, the, as a beat writer for MLB.com is very different from what my job would be as beat writer for the San Diego Union Tribune or, or a newspaper um, in the sense that I it, – it, and it's, this is kind of what we're looking for at MLB.com. It's to cover the game and the, the interesting things that are happening in and around the game and when there are – maybe off the field issues, those aren't, I, I don't pursue those as actively as the local newspaper should. And so I, there's, I, I don't, I don't want to say frustration. It's, it's completely normal that, that what I do might be a little, there's some frustration around the fan base. I guess I would say that what I do is a little, is a little too positive for a team. That's I think 14 and 25 right now. But yeah. to me, the thing that's going to generate reads and the thing that fans are most interested in after a 2-1 loss to the Cardinals where the rest of the offense was abysmal is that Franchi Cordero, a prospect and a potential piece of their outfield of the future, had three hits and is, is really developing as a hitter. And so to, to me, the, 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 what happened in the game was the offense was really bad and the offense is still in a rut and needs to break out of it. And that, that's another story. And that's, that's a, if, if that's the way you, you want to write the game story, there's a really good game story to be written there about what is wrong with the Padres offense and how do they break out of it? I'm a, I'm a fan of the New Jersey devils, the hockey team. And I, and I kind of put myself in the shoes of what, when I, the way I consume coverage of that team, I apply it to how I cover this team. And, and the way, the way readers 
are going to be interested in the things I write is generally, I don't want to say generally the positive aspect, but it's generally the aspect that's, that's not so harping on a loss that doesn't mean anything. And, and if that, if that is construed as me being overly positive, so be it. I get that. That's, that's a valid criticism, but I also think there's a place for it. What, um, well, what do you do if Chase Headley is arrested and charged with trafficking heroin? Like how, <laughs> I'm being unfair to Chase Headley, but you get the idea. Like, what do you, how do you approach that story? You obviously have to do something on it. You can't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I would write the story as down the middle as possible and I would get, I would compile the information and that's not, I'll, I'll just say that that's not something that I would be breaking. I'm not, I'm not chasing after that. If somehow, no pun intended, if somehow I, uh, that, that story landed in my lap, maybe I'd do something. But I mean, here's, here's an example. Uh, Ho- Jose Torres, a reliever was, uh, was placed on the restricted list for domestic violence incident during the offseason and he's no longer with the team. That's something that the, the Padres announced it. And I basically, it's, it's, it's my job the way we cover, the way we cover it to write that story and, not my resources aren't best allocated on going after all the details of that as whereas for for i guess a local newspaper covering the team that is a is a primary emphasis and so that's not something that that's not something that i chase that's something i react to whereas pretty much everything else that happens with the team is something i is is everything that happens kind of baseball related that's what i chase and that's kind of that's that's in my job description working for mlb.com do you ever have someone say, look, we cannot cover that or that, you know, from MLB or from your, your editors, like that is not a story we do here at MLB.com? No. And that's, that's part of the thing I really like about working at MLB.com. There's, I've had editors kind of suggest different changes in tone and we've worked back and forth, but it's never, there's never been a no, don't write that kind of thing. And so that's, that's part of the, that's part of what I think we do. That's that we do so well at MLB.com is, is. Uh, for, for the most part, we're completely independent of the teams and we get to, we get to kind of cover the teams in a fair manner. You, uh, you've come along at an interesting time in, in coverage because I am, uh, I was thinking again, when I was covering baseball, I would spend a very solid amount of games Googling stuff, looking at reading, uh, Gary Coleman's bio on IMDb, you know, cr- stuff <laughs> like that. And I'm looking at your, you know, May 5th. Your feed, your your Twitter feed is basically that's a fifth homer of Lopez's career in three different countries too. Eric Hosmer mashes a tater on the next pitch. It's two nothing Padres. Brian Mitchell has a no hitter through one. You're literally live tweeting the game as the game is going on. When you take this job, is that part? Are they are they clear part of what you are going to be doing is tweeting this game? And number two, I wonder, does it take away at all from your ability to maybe work like a lot of a game time for, for writers is working on stories while the game is going on. If you're live tweeting mm-hmm. the game, does it make it harder to work on other things that maybe you need to work on? See, I never, it, it might for some people, I never let tweeting get in the way of, of what my actual job is, which is writing the stories. And then part of my job is tweeting them out to my audience. And so that's, that's my first job, but I also want to keep them, keep my audience engaged. So I, I, like, I prefer not to per se live tweet the game. I, I want to add, whatever funny commentary or whatever interesting tidbit that you can't get from just watching the baseball game. And there are times where I, where I'll, when it's a big moment in the game, sometimes I'll just tweet out, Hey, here's what happened. But I, I, I don't think it's my job to give you the play by play on Twitter when 
That's not, that's doing nothing for MLB.com. That's not getting any, no one's going to MLB.com because I'm telling them that the Padres went down one, two, three in the fourth. So I, I don't view it as a burden at all. I, I, I really like, and granted it's Twitter. There are a lot of people on Twitter who get under your skin if you let them. I really enjoy interacting with, with 90% of Padre fans on social media. And so I, I, to me, it's not a burden. It's just a way of, it is part of the job in the sense that it's a way of engaging my readership and it's a way of keeping them interested in, in my product, what I'm writing. And ultimately, I think when, when I write something interesting, they'll be there reading it. All right. So how do you deal with, um, how do you deal with, uh, the angry ones on Twitter? Eh, you suck or blah, blah, blah. Do you block and move on? Do you just ignore them? Do you engage? No, I don't block anyone. Uh, I, I, I just ignore though. I mean, a lot of, uh, uh, some of the, some of the criticism is totally warranted sometimes. And sometimes, I mean, the, the worst feeling is when someone says something on Twitter, someone asks me why I haven't asked a question and they haven't asked that question. I'm like, Oh crap. You know what? Like <laughs> that is a good question. That's yeah. I should have, I should probably be doing my job better. Before we continue with two writers slinging Yang, a quick word from our, sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my wife, Catherine. So, Catherine, did you like all the USFL stuff I got you for Mother's Day? Eh, it was okay. Wait, why just okay? Honestly, we've been talking about the USFL for two years now, ever since you started working on the book. It's getting old, and I don't really need another Denver gold t-shirt or a New Jersey General's hat. Oh, I, I understand. I mean, doesn't 503 Sports sell anything besides USFL stuff? Of course. Really? Why didn't you tell me that? I never thought to. I'm done here. That's fine, because I know 503 Sports has it all. We're talking USFL, we're talking World Football League, we're talking XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, old school Portland State, or, put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a He Hate Me Las Vegas Outlaws jersey, and that's you, right? Yep. Well, dreams come true. The merchandise at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So be like Catherine Perlman. Go to 503-sports.com and type in coupon code YANG18 to get 10% off your first purchase. You wrote a really nice story, uh, June 17th, 2017, so about a year ago. Uh, Renfro bonded with dad over camper trips. It's kind of a funny headline. And uh, Hunter Renfro of the Padres. And you have this really sort of beautiful and lovely story about Hunter who grew up in Mississippi and his dad and how his dad would take him to all these youth baseball tournaments and the hotel rooms got expensive. So he bought a 2003 Cherokee fifth wheel to drive him around. How'd you even find this out? How'd you even know this about Hunter Renfro to write the story? Well, so that, that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with trying to get prepared to, to have subjects to just talk with guys about. And so I think we were in, and I don't know if this, if this was the city, but I think we were in Atlanta. And Renfro had grown up in Mississippi. And so I just kind of, I wanted to, that, that's one of, that was for that day. That was one of the subjects that I was going to broach. Hey, did you, when you were a kid, did you go to any games here? Did you, or you it, it wouldn't have been there because it was the new, it was the new stadium, but did you go to any games at Turner Field? Uh, were you a Braves fan? Like, what's it like being here? Are you close to home? Do you have family? Um, and so I kind of came prepared with those questions and he said, well, no, I didn't go to a ton of games. I was busy playing baseball and we got talking about his youth baseball. And then that's how the camper thing came up. And so, um, actually, I think that was the, the, I, I learned about that, uh, 
sometime in May, I think. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's really interesting. That's something that I'm going to save for Father's Day, for Father's Day weekend. So uh, that's when I ran that story. And it's just, that's that's basically, I think that might be the best example of what a, what a baseball beat is. It's the little minutia, the kind of just, just shooting the shit questions with guys that, uh, that, that allow you to come up with interesting stories about them. Uh, even if it's, it, 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 you never know what small thing is going to lead to a story, what small questions. So you might as well ask it as long as it's grounded in some sort of fact or as long as it's grounded in, as long as there's some reason and you're not just annoying the guy for the sake of, for the sake of saying something to him, you know? And so it, it, it sometimes the best stories can come out of, a, a complete throwaway question like, hey, you're from Mississippi. Did you go to any games in Atlanta when you were a kid? So obviously you talk to Hunter, then you're like, hey, can I give your dad a call? This may sound dumb. Is it ever awkward being like, hey, can I give your dad a call? Is there an awkwardness in asking for a guy's dad's phone number, sister's phone number, wife's phone number? Um, do you have any fear? And along those lines, one thing I never fully conquered was a fear of rejection. And I'm not just talking about rejection like in high school of being rejected by the girl I want to ask to the prom. Like a ball player being like, get the fuck away from me. I don't want to talk about that. Like I hate rejection. And I feel like your mm -hmm. job is a tough one. If you have a fear of rejection. Um, yeah. I don't know. Does that not bother you? Do you not care if he was like, I don't want you to call my dad. Would you just be like, okay, move on with life. See, I think by that point I had a decent enough relationship with him that, that were where I could ask him that mm -hmm. and not, and I knew, I knew, I already knew what the answer was going to be. He was going to say yes. But, but to, to your point, it's, there, there's a ton of rejection. I can't tell you how many times, and it's a lot of it is just, it's just casual for, for the player. It's, Hey, I gotta, I can't right now. I don't want to, I, I gotta go hit or something like that. And I have a big story idea planned. And now there's now all of a sudden I have no, I have no content for the subject that I'm covering. And that like to be kind of, to kind of craft this idea of what I'm going to write and, and spend a lot of time going into some of the facts or some of the background or whatever analytics I looked at to formulate these questions that I have and go up to a guy and then be dismissed as quickly as, Oh, no, I can't, I gotta, I, I don't want to deal with you right now. Kind of thing. That's that. I deal with that on a fairly regular basis and you just kind of get used to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's part of the job, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make it any fun, but it does make it easier. The more you get used to it. Wait, you know what, AJ, it's such a fascinating, I brought this up on a previous podcast, but, um, I remember Buster Olney once told me when he was covering the Yankees, he used to cover the Yankees for the New York Times, and he covered them for years. And one year, he had his thumb in a cast. I think he broke his thumb. <laughs> and he goes into a Yankee clubhouse to do his job like he does every day. And he said, one guy asked, hey, what happened to your thumb? Like His thumb is literally in a cast. And he sees these guys every day, and he's going up to Jeter and Chuck Knobloch and Shane Spencer and everyone because they might have a sprained pinky toe and finding out everything there is. And one guy in the Yankees even thought to ask, Hey, what happened to your thumb? It is a remarkably one way relationship between you. Like you care about everything that happens, these guys. And you know, if there was a new, maybe I'm wrong here. If there were a new MLB.com Padres B writer tomorrow, they'd certainly notice you weren't there, but I don't think the adjustment would be particularly jarring <laughs> or difficult for them. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, we're in, in that sense coming from my angle. I also get where the players are coming from there too. I mean, I, I think being in New York, it's probably a lot different than it is being in San Diego. I, I got married last year and I had 
seven or eight players kind of ask me about it and wish me well after, after I got married. And so it was, I mean, they, they, they do, it's not, it's, it's not a complete one way street. I mean, they're, they're people I deal with on a daily basis. And so, and they're human beings. And so they do, they do notice these kind of things and they, they, they are, I guess, there, there is some humanity to them in the sense that they'll strike up a ca- casual conversation. And even if it's something, even if the subject is me, they're going to go forth with that and not be, and not be kind of, and not be, uh, cold about it. So, um, I, it's also the job. It's just the, that's just the description of the job. I, I cover the Padres. The Padres don't cover me. And so I right. need to know every little thing that's going on with them. They have. There is almost no need for them to know what is going on in my life. Right. Yeah, true. Um, when I was covering baseball, Mark McGuire was in his sort of heyday and he was hitting home runs and, uh, you know, we didn't really know yet about the PD ties to him and, and he was a grumpy, grumpy guy. He was not an enjoyable guy to cover or to approach. Uh, now he is your bench coach. Um, do you ever deal with him? Is he fine to deal with? Do you need him at all? Does he matter? Yeah, I, I dealt with him a lot last year, actually, and he's and and I I had I had heard that he was that during his kind of home run run he was tough to tough to deal with. I have had no issues whatsoever. To the kind of to the contrary, he's been extremely helpful with me. Last year I dealt with him a lot because so at, at MLB.com one of the things that I I appreciate the most about our company is that we'll help each other out with stories. And so when there's something going on. Uh, in some other city and they need a comment from Mark McGuire, I'll get an email saying, can you go talk to Mark McGuire about this? And so last year, Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger were going after his rookie home run record. And I wrote a couple things about it. And not only that, I, I talked to him a few times and sent quotes to our other writers. Uh, so it's kind of a team effort and he could, could not have been more helpful. And then the one thing I've learned from covering him is he, he kind of, he kind of hates talking about himself. And he loves talking about anything else pertaining to baseball. So when I, when I asked him the questions about, uh, about his run and what he, what he did to hit, I think it was 49 homers in his rookie season. Those were short answers. When I asked him about what it's like to watch Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger, he could talk for minutes upon minutes about how great it is for the sport and how fun it is to watch these guys and how he wants to see his record broken. And he's genuine about being kind of a fan. So, uh, it's, it's, I think he almost enjoys this role more in because he's not in the spotlight. And when he does get to, when I do talk to him, it's not about him. It's about maybe the adjustments that he's making with Christian Villanueva. And that's what he would prefer to talk about. And would would you, in your role, MLB.com, I'm assuming you would never ask him about PEDs. Like, is that just a conversation that from your position uh, and who you work for it, that's mm-hmm. just not something you're going to need to talk about. I don't know if it's from my position that it's not something or, or because of who I work for that it's not something I'm going to talk about. I think it's because I'm, I'm the beat writer for the Padres and what's out there, what's been said has already been said. And so we have columnists who in, in theory could potentially write something about that or write something pertaining to it. But in my job as the beat guy and with Mark McGuire as the Padres bench coach, which does, which, his his link to PEDs has has nothing to do with the questions that I'm asking him. I don't see I don't I don't see any need or reason to broach that subject. Right? Do you uh, do you speak Spanish? Uh, my Spanish is getting there. 
It's getting, oh. it's, it's, I, I, we were in, we were in Monterey actually, uh, a week ago for Padres Dodgers series. And I asked a press conference question in Spanish, which was, which was quite the hurdle, but no, I do not. I have a hard time understanding Spanish when it's spoken to me. I think I can formulate, I can formulate every question I would want to ask, but I, I still have a hard time understanding it, especially from certain players who talk fast. Right. Well, cause it's interesting. Two things. I was, um, I was a couple of weeks ago, I had a uh, Jesus Ortiz from the, from the St. Louis newspaper on and he, he speaks Spanish and he was talking about the advantages of it. And then when I was at the uh, Tigers Rangers game last week, I was, I was just looking at the Tigers lineup. I think six out of the nine were Spanish speaking players. And I was wondering if you are a, uh, I don't know if you're running, if you, if you're running a website or you're running a, uh, a newspaper and you're looking for beat writers in, in from specifically for major league baseball, uh, how big of an advantage would you say it is to have a bilingual writer? How important would you say that is massive? It, it's massive. I mean, it's, there are, and, and even, even like if you can go out of your way and, and strike up a conversation in Spanish or say a couple words to a guy in Spanish, you can kind of tell that they, they appreciate that because a lot of these guys are 22, 24, 26 year old, Latino ball players who are in a completely foreign country with only with only a language that that they don't speak particularly well, and so it it, it means a lot to them to to even go out of your way a little bit. And so I would imagine having someone asking them their questions in in their native language that's a huge deal. The other thing is, uh, I I pretty much talk to everyone I need to talk to. The Padres are a very good interpreter, um, and he's readily available for whatever I need. Um, there's only so much you can, so much information you can glean. I can't have that Hunter Renfro conversation with, uh, with, with, uh, with someone through an interpreter. I can't have right. that. Oh, hey, you grew up in Mississippi. Now you're in Atlanta. What is this? Did you come to games here? I can't have that kind of shooting the shit off the record, whatever conversation with a guy in Spanish because I can't speak it. And there's, there's that, that, that is a challenge to the fact where I can't. Those those stories need to be told in the same way every other story needs to be told, but I need to almost go out of my way to get it. Interesting. Do these guys ever talk politics in the clubhouse? I I don't see it, and I I promise you they do. I think they make a conscious effort when the media is there to avoid that subject. I think that's probably smart. All right, let me throw a final final question for you, and it's a I think it's a very important one. I think it's one that's being debated across the nation. Um, October 2nd, 2017, Padre relief pitcher Kevin Quackenbush is granted free agency, ending his tenure with the San Diego Padres. With that move, you lost clearly the greatest beard. What, what, what Oscar Gamble was to the Afro in the 1970s, Kevin Quackenbush was to the overgrown beard in the 2000s. How did you handle the loss of Kevin Quackenbush from the San Diego Padres? Yeah, one of the one of the greatest beards and one of the greatest names. It was, I mean, yeah, I I have so much respect for that guy because his story is kind of he was not out of options last year, so he could be sent back and forth between El Paso and San Diego. I don't know the number, but he was sent back and forth ten, eleven times, just one way flights, and you never know when you're going to come back. And sure enough, there he was every every time. Every time someone got hurt, there was Kevin Quackenbush with his 10-inch beard sitting at his locker, smiling and happily answering whatever questions I had. And so he, he was a unique character, and it was, it was too bad to, to, to lose him just, just from a 
covering covering guys that you guys that you like and guys that I mean I have a, I have a lot of respect for someone who can handle uh every single player who plays baseball wants to be in the major leagues and every single player who gets to the major leagues wants to stay in the major leagues and nobody likes being nobody likes being sent down he handled it more times than anyone I've ever seen and he handled it better than I've ever seen so uh Beard, the beard and the name and the person, uh, de- definitely, definitely missed in that clubhouse from my perspective. Would you recognize Kevin Quackenbush if he showed up without his beard? Definitely not. Definitely <laughs> not. I, I, I don't even know what he, I don't even, I don't even think I'd recognize him if he showed up with the beard, but cut half of it. Right. Yeah. I got bad news for you. Quackenbush this year, Cincinnati, 10 games, nine innings pitched, 13 hits. 11 runs, 11 earned runs, three home runs, and a 11 ERA, an 0-1 record. So Kevin Quackenbush's beard might not be long for Major League Baseball. I, you ever have guys, <laughs> like I take my son to a you know, decent number of Padre games every year just for fun, and we both really want Kevin Quackenbush to be, we wanted him to be good because his beard was so corny, cool he seemed like such a nice guy. Do you ever find yourself rooting for guys to be better than they are just because they're nice human beings? Not really. There are a couple examples. Um, and, uh, my biggest one is I, 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 I try not to let that get in the way of what I care about because generally I'm, I'm rooting for whatever's easiest for my story. That's what I root for in the press box. But there are a couple examples, one of them being, um, and they're generally injury related. So I know how much work these guys have to go through to get back from their injuries. And I know how much work Tyson Ross put in to get back from his shoulder problems and to see him succeeding this year, even if it's only marginal success. That makes me happy. That's something that I that I root for just because I, I understand the work that they put in. I don't think because I like shooting the shit with a guy in the clubhouse and talking to talking to whoever about college football, I'm not gonna I, I don't care any more or less whether they go 0 for three or whether they go three for three. But certain guys who you know have put the work in and, and are decent human beings and and treat you with respect as a reporter and, and kind of do everything the right way. Guy like Tyson Ross, who who came back from that shoulder surgery and really, really never complained about it. For for me, that 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 is the type of thing I root for. I don't I don't necessarily root for him to go out pitch a no hitter and win win the pennant for the Padres, but I, I root for him to come back and at least have enough success where that that work that he put in uh, and kind of the mindset he has was all worth it. Do you have final 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 thing? Do you think in your in your position of power you could get the Padres to go back to their 1984 uniforms? I've been trying. Why won't they go back to the coolest, ugliest, coolest uniforms ever? Because for years they've been nondescript uniforms and they have these great trademark brown and, you know, Taco Bell looking uniforms that I just absolutely loved. I, I don't know. And I, I really don't have a good answer for that other than they, they just aren't. And the, the thing for me, uh, the 2016 All-Star Game was here and they had, the, those were the colors of the All-Star Game. Yeah. You know, when the All-Star Game goes somewhere, that's, that's usually what the, yeah, they, they awesome. take the home team's colors. Those jerseys, I, I, every city I go to, I see someone, if I go to St. Louis, I'll see a Molina jersey from that All-Star Game. If I go to Chicago, I'll see Rizzo from that All-Star Game. Everywhere I go, I see those, those All-Star jerseys pop up because everyone loved them so much. They were so freaking cool. And, yeah. uh, and I, I, I honestly think that if, if the Padres were to do that now, all of a sudden you might see random Eric Hosmer jerseys popping up in 
Cincinnati just because some baseball fan there thinks the Padres jerseys are really cool. And, and I, I, I don't have an answer for your question, but I just would like to say I'm on board. Well, AJ, listen, I, uh, I can't thank you enough. This has been truly fascinating. And any other, any other human, human being who appreciates Kevin Hackenbush is okay with me. So, uh, thank you. Seriously, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I, I, it's not every day that I get asked the questions. So I, I had fun answering them and hopefully I provided some insight into, into B writing. And maybe you don't think it's as, it's as, rough a job, rough a gig as, as you once did. I want to thank today's guest, AJ Casavell, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow AJ on Twitter at AJ Casavell and read his stuff at MLB.com. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, king of the throwback sports merchandise. Visit the website at 503-sports.com. One can listen to Two Writers Slinging Yang on iTunes and Google Play, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is from MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember... Keep writing.